Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your hosts Bernhard Günther and Laura Matsu. Today's episode will be about the wounded healer's journey of opening the heart. And to start off with, uh, we want to give a little definition of the wounded healer, what that entails, what that um, path is, which also relates to the archetype of Chiron, which we see in mythology a lot. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to actually describe Chiron without going into a huge story about like everything that he went through in Greek mythology. So if people are interested, I would suggest you just do research yourself. But we've kind of made like, I guess what you could call, I think they call them like Cole's notes, you know, of, of Chiron and how it relates to and basically the essential symbolism behind the myth and then that how that relates to the individual in their astrology chart. So the archetype of the wounded healer originated with the Greek myth of Chiron, who is physically wounded and by way of overcoming the path of his own wounds, Chiron became the compassionate teacher of healing. The wounded healer is a person who has gone through suffering, sometimes great suffering, and as a result of the process has become a source of great wisdom, healing power, and inspiration for others. In fact, the archetypal wounded healer undergoes a transformation as a result of their wound, their suffering, and pain. They can actually transcend it and successfully lead themselves to a path of service to others. It is as if the wound itself helps you drive yourself to an inner journey that becomes transformation itself. One strips away the selfish, ego-based feeling of being all alone in our wound and expands to see others and how, and how, if one chooses a different role, one can help others. And then just personally in our astrology chart, like this path is going to be different for everyone, I think is the main thing. And it really depends on your wounds and the traumas that you go through. So Chiron in our astrology charts uh, points to where we have healing powers as a result of our own deep spiritual wounds. We may overcompensate in these areas of life and Chiron as a wounded healer must first face issues of low self-worth and feelings of inadequacy and learn to rise above these issues. So it's interesting, like you see in people's astrology charts, initially, this is something that they're, in, especially early on in their life, they may have an insecurity around, they may be completely unaware of, but once they tap into their own wound in this area, it actually becomes a gateway for immense healing potential. Um, because the wound goes deep and we may work hard to overcome the wound, healing powers are potent. So it's like, I heard this quote, not necessarily always true, but uh, someone once told me, uh, do, don't try and guide people through something that you haven't been through yourself. And I don't think that's always true. However, for people who have gone through a journey themselves and you're going through it and they've reached the other kind of light at the end of the tunnel, they can be really profound healers and mentors in that area because they've gone through that experience and they can really tap into like this deep compassion and understanding for what you've gone through. Um, so, you know, like if I have wounds around like, you know, sexual trauma, I'm not going to go see a therapist who specializes in like men's trauma or something, you know, not men, not to say that men haven't gone through sexual trauma, but you know, we're going to, I find we're going to resonate and especially in my own life with healers who have actually gone through a similar experience as we have and come out the other end. So yeah, that's a basic 
symbolism behind Chiron. So maybe let's just get into our own personal experiences and what brought us to the healing arts, because I feel within telling our own stories, we're basically going to demonstrate this wounded healer energy and how it's manifested in our own lives. So maybe you'd like to start and what brought you to body work and I mean, even HK and I mean, holographic kinetics, sorry, I'm using the abbreviation. Um, yeah. And all the multiple healing gifts that you ha have as well. Yeah. Basically it relates to my own <clears throat> lot of childhood wounding and trauma I've went through in my life and just dealing, especially in my late in teens and in my twenties in particular with severe depression, despair of not being able to fit into the world and um, not understanding life and literally de dealing with severe despair, depression, suicidal tendencies, which then open up, you know, the question to me, like, who am I? I need to heal myself. I need to understand what's going on. Otherwise, I will kill myself. I will not make it. And that call out to the universe, you know, the call to adventure, so to speak, is also the wounded healer's journey actually also relates to the hero's journey in mythology. And then there's the guidance, the universe or the divine brings in mentors and other healers, supporting forces and introducing you to uh, certain teachings or modalities that help you to heal yourself. And in my case, early on, it was especially uh, certain body-mind practices when I was introduced to yoga and qigong and especially bodywork and massage uh, when I met, met my mentor literally out in the desert and one of the desert parties and received my first massage out there um, where I really experienced the body-mind connection, how trauma, wounds, or my childhood memories are stored in my muscles and tissue and through the body we call, all came up in a more conscious way and had a lot of realizations what a lot of the stuff was dealing with related to my childhood trauma and whatnot. And in particular for me, um, body worked helped a lot because I've been also growing up very head-centric, disconnected from my body. And, you know, via receiving body work and diving deep, it was a tremendous healing process for me to dive deep into my body somatically and release a lot of wounds and trauma and had, again, like I said, uh, a lot of insights, even visual flashbacks to my childhood. And also growing up in, in you know, in Germany in high school where I was bullied and all of that and all of this was still stuck in my body. But via learning, receiving a lot of body work and then, my mentor back then also started to teach me to give certain bodywork techniques, to give bodywork, to do massage and, and work on other people. And in that process, I discovered this gift that I also had this quote-unquote healing touch and I had a gift for bodywork, which I wasn't even fully aware of. Um, but, you know, via receiving the work, I was also in how it had an effect on me and how it, me, how it helped me and healed me in many ways. I was also... Um, able to give that to others in a more conscious way because my body already knew what the experience was and what what came out of it so that you know in that arena um was definitely the more i healed myself through body my work and learned the craft myself the better i was able to help others and then i pursued it uh, more professionally when going to various massage schools and started to become a professional body worker but the more i receive that work as well, the more I healed myself, the better I became as a body worker. It's almost, you know, like you just said, the more we heal our own wounds and 
work on our own stuff, the better we are equipped to help others in, in, in that particular arena. But it also ties into the saying, what I feel what you mentioned before with Chiron in our chart, um, the major lesson we need to learn. We also, te whatever we need to learn, we teach the best. Or whatever we teach is something we need to learn. You know, there's this saying, or we become the best teachers um, relating to what we need to learn ourselves. So we always teach and students alike. Mm -hmm. And it relates to what you mentioned to, that we have also out of our own experience, we can help others better than just going to academia and learning book smart knowledge, you know, on, on, you know, or healing modalities or, or psychology. Um, but if we have gone through the process ourselves, we um, really assist from a more a place of experience and that also creates what you mentioned before true empathy we can truly relate to another person's suffering because we have been through this ourselves yeah right and then later in my life that goes also deeper into psychology shadow work and even relationships you know a lot of my i'm sure the readers of my work are aware of that i wrote a lot about the the love by the alien love by dark set of cupid very intense relationship experiences that have an overtone of hyperdimensional interference and paranormal uh, interference, and it's it's it transcends even normal relationship psychology. And these kind of experiences I wrote about, especially two of them, were extremely severe and nearly took me out. And it was a lot of suffering. But what I realized when you look back, a lot of the suffering with the trauma we went through in our own ways, if we are able to heal from it or are in the process, and engage in the work is actually initiation right deep initiation through the experience we can help others than who are going through this similar uh, regards to what what you have experienced yes yeah and it's beautiful um so and my story i guess you can, you can look at it also with chiron in the ninth house for you it's like you're here to like embody the higher self and also bring this these higher level spiritual teachings to other people so i think that through your own like suffering that's what it's brought you to um and i know like my chiron was in the 12th house so that's the house of like spirituality it's also the house of like insane asylums and prisons um but if you look at it in my own life like uh From the Hindu caste system perspective, like I was supposedly blessed because I grew up in a spiritual family. Like my parents both practiced uh, this form of like, it's not just asana yoga, but it was called siddha yoga. Um, and so they meditated, they worked with like mantra, they like had a guru, you know, uh, they saw everything in the universe as a reflection of themselves, like these basic teachings that like are not common, especially in the small Canadian town where I grew up in, like, I don't think there was that many people who practiced that form of yoga. But I grew up in a like very chaotic family home. So, and they also both disconnected from their spiritual path because of the divorce that happened between my parents is there's almost like this kind of like resentment because they both entered this path together. So it was a complicated relationship with spirituality that was like almost like put into me at a young age because of my parents' complicated relationship with their own spirituality. But I could see even growing up, like I was like a very like 
spiritual child in the sense that I was like intensely tuned into like imagination and creativity. Like I was, had a abundance of creativity. I was also naturally, even as a child, like I wanted to be of service to others. Like I was always like volunteering at like with old folks homes with disabled people. Like I would just knock on random strangers doors and give them flowers just cause that felt like that to me, it was just natural and like effortless for me. Um, and then when I reached adolescence, like I, that thing, that's when like really like the, I, I started to get traumatized just through society as well. And then also facing my own relationship wounds through unhealthy relationship dynamics, which I was attracted to because of my chaotic family upbringing. And then you know, if I look back to like, there was an age around like 17, 18, where I was like really getting into spirituality, like pretty basic stuff, like Alan Watts and like different teachers like that. And then something happened, major trauma happened, basically. Um, uh, I don't really want to go into details on this podcast, but that completely derailed me from that. Like I, it's like, I totally actually forgot about spirituality, essentially, and then, um, and then like, I don't know, like maybe even close to like, close to like a decade of trauma later, um, that's when I had my first quote unquote spiritual experience again, where things were so bad in my life that I, I just decided to pray something happened in the external world, which gave me a signal that my prayers were answered. I also prayed at this moment, keep, keep in mind when I didn't believe in like God, that there was anything good in the world, but I was just, I was just desperate. Like I, I hadn't, I felt like I had nowhere else to turn except for God. So that just basically realigned me, um, in a sense, um, and that from that point forward, I started healing my own traumas through, um, meditation, yoga. I got into various like kind of self work, um, now I'm working more with like somatic meditation and whatnot, but, and I mean, this is a long story to get into, but I, I basically started reclaiming my essence. And there was a point when my basic essence was lost through this kind of accumulated trauma that rose to surface. And then, especially when I moved out into nature, that's when that really started coming back in full force. So, um, and even now, like I'm starting to realize, like, you know, now that I'm becoming more of my true self, that there's like, I do have like a, a, a gift with being able to connect spiritually. Like I have like very psychic, intuitive gifts. Doesn't mean I can like read into the future, but like I have a abundance of spiritual experiences, which are probably not super common. Like there's something in me that's open to that. And if you look at Chiron in the 12th house, that's really what it's meant to, it's meant to basically honoring these spiritual gifts, but it's come through this large experience of disconnection and suffering that I had to basically reclaim them. So I, I need, I remember in, um, when things were really bad, when I was in like a detox center in Vancouver's downtown east side, and if anyone listening is aware, it's a dark, dark place. It's basically like the trenches of human suffering, like drug addiction and all sorts of traffic, sex, sex trafficking, etc. But even at that moment, when I was also disconnected from like my spirituality completely, there was like a higher voice and wisdom 
that told me in that moment, like, you have to experience this so you can see what humanity is dealing with. And I, and I feel that very deeply now that, like, you know, there's nothing that can truly surprise me in, in any sort of session that I have with some person because I've been through some extremely dark stuff myself and I haven't been through everything, but I've been through enough that I know that there is a very dark force uh, that operates on this planet that um, is keeping humanity trapped in not only just the regular suffering of their life and death cycle and losing people they love, but unnecessary suffering that they're inflicting upon others. So I feel the suffering has actually gotten much worse than maybe times the Buddha was in. Although I actually, sorry, I take that back. I also heard that there was a very dark time. And it's interesting, you know, I feel it's very, it's very much in these darkest times that we're going to have these, uh, we're going to have this arising of these wounded healers, you know, like these are the times when it's most necessary for it to happen. And um, yeah, so that's just kind of a little bit of my own story, not to go on a bit of a rant, but yeah. So, no, no, it was beautiful. Thank you. I was just, it's interesting because you just mentioned, I was just talking from a like more personal level, but you just reminded me also, and you actually introduced me back into astrology, uh, which we talked about astrology in the previous po podcast, uh, really the benefits of it, but maybe also limitations. But it's very interesting, the Chiron placement in one's chart, mm -hmm. especially the house placement you yeah. were referring to. And like what you just mentioned in my ninth house, I can totally read it. Because what does the ninth house character characterize sagittarius so it's like higher knowledge higher awareness like spiritual teachings religion like yeah. all of those so things. it's interesting with me my chiron my natal chart in the ninth house relates to like the wound there and like you said you know a lot of it was also driven i was also in very dark phases feeling basically completely disconnected from anything spiritual right yeah. and also growing up in a household quite the opposite to yours in a sense my dad is an atheist that's right. a good, yeah, that's a perfect example. Like nothing actually. religious. Yeah. And my mom was like, or still is, maybe was a, like a social Christian. Mm -hmm, <laughs> Protestant. Mm -hmm. We went to church once a year for Christmas. Which is mechan what, the mechanical. Exactly, form. because that's what everybody else did. Yeah. But there was, I mean, on the positive side, I was not subjected to any religious programming, mm -hmm. but also the zero spiritual, you know, um, education so to speak or anything nothing related to it just very materialistic mm -hmm. and then i feel through my own suffering growing up obviously as a very sensitive boy and then becoming quite an adult not knowing how to deal with life and all these experiences that suffering then asked me like what is the meaning of life mm -hmm. and then drove me to these deeper teachings I right see that, yeah. and esotericism and relates to what i write about because i feel one of my quote-unquote gifts out of that and what i've been told by others and i'm just really much connecting the dots and bring a bigger picture of how it all kind of interrelates mm. and bringing in together like spiritual teachings in light of the matrix and in light of my own process because everything I write about is also based on where I'm at and my own internal experiences from my own wounds but there's this inner drive to really like connect to the divine right to the psychic being my true self and what you mentioned before essence yeah yeah, and this is also, you know, the thing uh, on a more collective level that we don't typically live in this emotionally and spiritually supportive world, especially like what we know as spirituality these days. I think we're moving out of it. Well, I know we're moving out of it, but we also kind of live in a circle, a bubble of spirituality. So I don't think our perspective is a grand scope of things. But 
we don't religion has basically oppressed spirituality collectively and so this is what we think is spirituality i'm not saying that there's not spiritual experience to be found in in these places i'm just saying gener- in generally it's distorted it and so we don't live in this emotionally supportive world and so what happens is people's hearts tend to basically like close down they get connected from their emotional self which when their emotional self also has a big connection to their spiritual self, although they're not the same. So maybe you can talk about, you know, that process and like how, you know, through opening your heart, you had to experience suffering. Um, and vice versa, like through suffering, I started to opening my heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was really, you know, there's this famous Rumi quote, you know, uh, break open your heart and, you know, what was it? The heart is where, the, no, the, the crack is where the light gets in or something i'm i'm you know, break open your, break up you know break your heart until it opens i'm called oh okay and then and, the and, and, right and then and then leonard cohen i don't know if he got this from me also has a lyric be like the crack is where the light gets in right, similar right. yeah it's, so it is actually ironically through the suffering yeah that we open our heart and i feel i remember we actually had an earlier podcast about that and generally talking about the role of suffering in the awakening process yeah. That it has its purpose, but there's a difference, like you just mentioned, between this quote-unquote conscious suffering of embracing your wounds and feeling mm. yourself through that as opposed to mechanical uh, suffering uh, or unnecessary suffering. Yeah, that just reminds me something I just read in this A.H. Almas book, um, who is, he uses a lot of Gurdjieff, sorry, I'm saying that right? That's right. <laughs> Work. Um, uh, he talks about ignoble and noble suffering. So in, mm. ignoble suffering is basically when you don't get what you want in the world, when things don't go as planned, and that's because you're depending on the external world to make you happy. And the noble suffering is when you're basically waking up to your own delusions, to your own, to the to the things that aren't part of your true self that need to be let go of and fall away. So if I have an idea of who I am and how my life is supposed to be and my life from spirit is supposed to take another direction, there's going to be a certain amount of noble suffering that's going to go along with it. There's also noble suffering waking up to the world like I know for myself, like when I, especially when I started getting my meditation and yoga practice, it was very hard to be in the city and see how disconnected people were from their, themselves and each other and see the state of the world with a clearer vision. That's this noble suffering, I feel. Yeah, I can relate to the noble suffering as well in my own life, looking back. And it ties into saying, tell God your plans and we'll laugh at you. Right when you're too attached to certain goals, to your image, to your idealized self-image. Mm-hmm. And even back then, many of us, myself included, sometimes have goals and intentions in life or aims in life that are coming actually from the wounded conditioned self yeah. and not from essence. Right, And then there's the divine, like, no, this is not what you're here to do or what, what you're here to work or bring to the world. And no matter how much you intend and try to manifest, it's just going to bring more pain, that kind of unnecessary suffering. Right. Instead of going deeper and like it takes also this noble suffering relates to taking full self responsibility. Yeah, that's extremely important because the noble suffering is ex- externalize it all. It blames other circumstances, everything external for the way you feel or what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And I think getting out of this like victim blame trap is so essential because from a higher like from your higher self's perspective, Everything that you're going through has a purpose and it's about finding the higher lesson in it. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of avoidable suffering once you start awakening up to your true self and getting out of that ignoble suffering. But um, 
But yeah, as long as you're blaming the external and that that keeps you disempowered and through being disempowered, you're actually d disconnected from your true essence and your true self. And also disconnected, bringing it back to the journey of the wounded healer from your own gifts. Exactly. What you had to bring to the world yeah. in terms ultimately in service to others. Yeah. Because similar, like we all have our own soul blueprint, similar to what you mentioned before, I can see them all in my own life. I was always driven to help others to be of service, mm. right? And so I was somehow came and distorted, then also tied in into like the the savior, <laughs> mother yeah. program distortion, yeah. right? White knight syndrome or um, just uh, lack of boundaries, people pleasing and all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's an inner drive to really make, uh, to help others, right? Yeah. And then what I've also noticed in my work, I know you can relate to that as well, the more I truly help others out of, pure selflessness the more i heal myself mm -hmm. right the more i'm actually here i see this a lot of my own sessions when i work on somebody help somebody i'm helping myself at the same time for the simple reason because we are one that's the true meaning of service to others service to others is very misconstrued in this day and age and, and has been distorted from its original meaning service to others doesn't mean that you just do constantly think for others the, the, the ego can hijack that as well or oh, i'm feeling make myself feel better because i'm such a good person help others mm -hmm. right or just give uh, the beggar ten dollars oh that's yeah, i'm such a great person mm -hmm. but service to others means that you truly recognize yourself in another person yeah. and by helping another person you're actually helping yourself you're helping everyone and the collective yeah Yeah, exactly. And so let's talk about more like this idea of like trauma and how that happens to people. And I've noticed a thing with trauma, it can go either way. So this can either create um, very sensitive people like I, I, I have this like on my own. I'll just go with a little side note. Okay, I'm just going to complete my sentence before I do that. <laughs> okay, so either trauma creates very sensitive people or at the extreme, it will create sociopaths, psychopaths. And sociopaths and psychopaths are basically disconnected from their essence. And then these overly sensitive people, they're almost too tuned into other people and they're not individualized. So then you have these like empaths or like, I can't be around certain people or whatever, you know, that's because they actually, you know, they are connected to other people, but it's at the cost of them being individualized in themselves. And a good example is just growing up. I see, you know, through my own, like, um, You know, this is also quite common through my parents' own emotional unavailability. It did make me more caring and more tuned in to how other people were feeling because I really, I, I, I mean, you know, my soul wanted to just make them feel better, you know. And then so that and then later on in life, if I'm doing that at the cost of my own well-being, then that's actually just it's not the best place to be in. Like I need to be able to be strong in my own essence in order to help others not doing it at the cost of myself. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And that could go either way. Like you see, you know, like, or you hear a lot of stories about this trauma that happened to this like person who committed this heinous crime, like murder, whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be that obvious, but you know, I've noticed even just knowing sociopaths myself, Uh, there is an ex a pretty distinct trauma that happened early on in childhood. And so that disconnected their soul from their body. And then in that, in an occult perspective, that's when these darker forces can basically take over who are pathological, who want to control, who want to uh, have power over other people because it 
actually cannot be powerful unto itself. Yeah, exactly. Very important. I just want to also clarify, when you write a lot of people who are actually pathological, even narcissist sociopaths, are deeply wounded, can be deeply wounded people who have completely dealing with severe soul fragmentation, something installs there and, and results on a psych, you know, psychological level and severe personality disorders and whatnot. Having said that, there's also the topic of genetic psycho psychopaths. And that's you know a topic on its own. I think we touch upon it at some point. I've written about a whole uh, article about it called um, Psychopaths in Power, the Elephant in the Living Room. But the, these kind of psychopaths, type of quote-unquote human, is not based on any childhood wounding or trauma that they're born that way without a conscience, right? That's a very misunderstood topic. But going back to the point you said, there's definitely in this world nowadays, in this matrix, like a trauma installment program. Mm -hmm. And I feel that happens to a lot of very sensitive uh, pe people, especially targeted in childhood, right? Um, very, very traumatized, very sensitive people, children, they have psychic abilities that have certain gifts and talents that actually they are on this path towards service to help during this time of transition, right? It ties a bit into the esoteric topic or of the wanderer, what people call star seeds, people that are here or the bodhisattva with a certain mission profile, but these occult forces, darker forces, azuric forces, hyperdimensional forces, living, uh, existing out of time and space, they actually sense already the soul projector of every person. Right, where it's what's going to and interfere with the life path of somebody um, without that person already being aware of what they're actually here to do mm -hmm. in order to derail us. To yeah. you know, I remember even you told me already you had all these gifts and insights as a young child, mm. and the way you were also in terms of service. And then, like you just said, you got so derailed and um, through your own trauma that you even completely lost your spiritual connection where at some point not even interested in that yeah. and until it came back around. So, um, I forgot. I for, you forgot. Yeah. And again, not to fall into victim blame, but there's something, this trauma that certain people are more targeted than, than others. And it also like, you know, it's very complex because we've, um, uh, written an article about this as, as well recently, the karma comes in past lives you know, they tag into our own blind spots and tempt us in, yeah. in a way where, you know, we just go along with it. We just don't know better because of our own ignorance, basically, and create trap of agreements, mm -hmm. right? Even throughout past lives with other forces. Um, but on that note, it's, there's another trend we just um, experienced or we just came across. Very disturbing, I find, um, with regards to the trauma installment program. And somebody on the forum was posting about it on the forum, our membership forum on, on veilofreality.com, about this movement. I, I didn't I actually never heard about it, the Manosphere movement. Manosphere, oh Manosphere. yeah. So it's like the men's, men's right. It's similar to the men's rights movement where they were saying that basically you shouldn't date traumatized women because you should yeah. look for women who have no trauma. Which should, is, yeah. Yeah, and also stay away from women with trauma or stay away from women who have daddy issues and only look for partners for women who have no trauma. Yeah. You know? And that is such a red flag. First of all, there's no such thing as one single person without trauma. Yeah, because right? we live in a traumatic We're setup. Just growing up <laughs> and trauma is wounding to varying degrees. Yeah. But it's also such an ignorant you know, statement of just, um, again, the fallacy of externalizing 
Yeah. You know, even for relationship, not understanding, even relationship, it always takes two to tango. Yeah. So people then blame that they have been got in, in relation with the, with the sociopath or narcissist, but there's something within them that cor responded to that. There's a reason why you attracted that person in your life or why you were attracted to that person, mostly on, most often on an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a self-responsibility. It's not externally looking, oh, this person has trauma, this has no trauma. And any person who... Uh, apparently this uh, the guy who posts about this many coaches talk about this or relationship coaches you know in this manosphere which also ties weirdly into the pickup artist artists scene yeah, or something artists, like yeah. you know which actually seems to be filled with very wounded men yeah. to begin with and they're being told don't um connect or hook up with women who have trauma or daddy issues yeah right? but that's that's just a lack of understanding of not only basic trauma psychology mm. just basic psychology in general let alone zero understanding of, of deeper spiritual knowledge mm. and uh, also um, a club actually lack of understanding of basic relationship psychology to begin with but it's weird that's almost like uh, people in that sense people of trauma are being um, judged as inferior right as something to you know not to stay away from mm -hmm. right Yeah, well, I feel it's just a clear case of shadow projection because at one point I was fascinated with the pickup. I think I even like in my in my darker days I shoplifted the game once, which was just so I could read it. And I was thought it was fascinating. By the side note, please don't ever do that. I'm just saying that like I've read the game and I didn't buy it myself. Is the point I'm trying to make? Yeah. And this, um, I mean, these men they have this obsession with getting quote-unquote high-value women and so what determines a high value is like you know like looks intellect etc probably like education they have a, all these certain external qualities and a lot of them um you know they kind of banded together because they weren't able to get these women so they had to create basically create these psychological manipulation techniques in order to get the woman that they wanted and one key one which i've made fun of a lot um in my past is called nagging which is where you intentionally uh basically put the woman down so that it establishes a position of mm. superiority over her and it's interesting because even naturally in like unhealthy high school dynamics like that's what guys would do like kind of pick on the girl that they liked in order to establish that dynamic but that's coming from a place of wounding because I, i mean sure many of you know if you have to put someone down in order to feel good about yourself and establish yourself as a position of, of superiority that's not a true sense of power that's coming from a place of deficiency so um so yeah anyway moving on to like the trauma i think that basically what's happening on a spiritual perspective is that they if they were to actually date someone with trauma get the emotional connection with someone with trauma and they were really uh, doing the work necessary in that relationship in order to connect them on a deeper, intimate level, they would have to face their own trauma. So it's about exactly. avoiding trauma in relationships because if you date someone who has trauma in a relationship, it'll also activate your own like trauma that's related to that and then it all will have to come up and then exactly. you're going to have the process yeah. of either healing it or being like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. So essentially they're being like, I don't want to deal with women with trauma It's basically a statement that I don't want to deal with my own trauma. Exactly. Because there's also whoever like you actually attract. And be, that's why a lot of relationships, I mean, we, not to sidetrack from the topic of this talk too much, but a lot of relationship advice, it's, you know, you most people, we don't consciously choose our partners. 
right? Yeah. That's a whole fallacy because there's unconscious drives, especially people who are not engaged in, in, in a self-work where it happens through wound bonding or trauma bonding. So any, wherever you have, you're in a relationship and your partner has a certain trauma, it kind of correlates to your own it, stuff as well. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a shadow dance, so to speak. But going back to the topic, so there seems to be of the wounded healer. There seems this matrix program of traumatizing people just living in this world where pathology has become normalized. You grow up in this world, <clears throat> excuse me, completely removed from nature and spirit. It's traumatizing. Yeah. Right? You, there's a split happening. And that from the matrix perspective, these are call forces. They like to keep us in this trauma state. They like to disintegrate our essence, so to speak, or remove our essence, dislodge our soul, keep our soul fragmented so they can install their own forces within us. The more we fragment it, like you mentioned before, even severely wounded, even to the point of like high level sociopaths, uh, psychopaths are fully uh, possessed or incarnated as Zurich forces or called forces. Sri Aurobindo talked about that and others as well. And that's what we see all over the world through various mechanisms, right? And the way we grow up through media, entertainment, even this whole the five G, the transhumanism, food in the poisoning—it's all in some way designed to create cracks and traumatize us on on multiple levels: energetically, emotionally, physically, mm. psychologically, on all levels, to keep us from "quote unquote" waking up, ascending, to yeah. keep a lot of people to keep them from fulfilling their work. As in terms of service to others, which brings me back to the journey of the wounded healer. Um, <clears throat> there's another thing I want to mention. I've worked with a client a couple of a year ago or so who worked with a, a pretty well-known like channeler, psychic or something like that. I won't mention the name, but that channel or psychic she worked with told her that you know the client was just sharing that she had dealing with sexual abuse and a lot of trauma and that uh, um, Psychic told her, well, you know, because of your severe trauma, sexual trauma, sexual trauma, you won't have really any chance in this world. You won't be able to wake up and there's nothing you can do. Wow. Really, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that was the message, hmm. right? Giving, literally telling that person that because you've experienced so much trauma, especially sexual trauma, you're so influenced by these forces. So this is just the way it is, right? Good luck next time around, so to speak. Hmm. And that's you know, whatever was working through that person, that psychic, but shows again, like demonizing victim shaming in the sense, yeah. and telling like, oh, your trauma is something bad with you. There's something wrong with you. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I've actually had men who were like interested in me say to me like, oh, maybe you're too fucked up to be in a relationship that also, you know, correlated with my own self-worth issues as well. But that was like, you know, there, this is pretty common. I feel like this attitude yeah. Well, having said that, sometimes in my own life as well, sometimes we need deal with our own stuff for a period yeah. of time. Yeah. Now, in a process like you've done, I, you know, I've a lot of childhood warning, like I wasn't ready to be in a relationship at certain points. Yeah, but right? anyone I feel who says that to another person is actually just as messed up. Yes, to, to like, say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it ties in this bigger picture. You know, it's, it's interesting because out of my experience, people who are very have suffered a lot and been traumatized but worked through their stuff in light of the healer uh, the journey of the wounded healer become powerful forces for change for service for truth for bringing in the light for making the darkness conscious yeah as renegades right more than people actually that have a very quote-unquote uh, normal life in a sense i don't want to yeah. judge 
people in any shape or form, but in terms of like, you know, if you have it always nice and cozy in your life, comfortable, have never suffered, yeah. right? Um, there's something to be said about soul evolution too because it li- ties into the law of descent and descent. Yeah, that also ties right? into like the classic story of like Buddha and like he grew up in this super comfortable life but then what he experienced when he went out in the world was he was able to connect deeply with the suffering of the world and that's actually what allowed him to wake up. It had nothing to do with like his comfort, comfortable upbringing it was actually... Uh, working against him in a sense because it was trying to keep him staying in his like quote unquote kingdom that he was going to inherit. He had to experience the suffering. Yeah. So let's talk about um, you know this idea like of healing yourself to help others and uh, a lot of I've I've had a, actually a few friends who had very great healing powers, but they're like, oh, I need to heal myself more before I help others. So like, how do you? How do That's you feel a good. About that? When we are ready to, how much do we have to have heal ourselves? heal ourselves before we can help others. Yeah. Right. And I can, I'll just share something about that. Um, In like, uh, I'm obviously learning a lot about Buddhism lately. So through the Buddhist lens, there's several stages. There's a Hiyana, which is like the basic Buddhism that it's about finding the suffering of your own mind, understanding karma, cause and effect and how it works and basically healing yourself. So that's the first stage. And that's, and that's the classic Buddhism that everyone distorts, basically. Um, and that's the first stage. Can you just, uh, on that note, can you just, I uh, would, would help our listeners how Buddhism has become distorted? Can you, in a nutshell? Well, can I do that at the end? Because I'm describing okay. this. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. And then moving on to the next stage is Mahayana, which is the Bodhisattva, which is being of service to others. And, you, and then after that, it's Vajrayana, which is a tantric Buddhism, which is using everything in the world as a means to your own transformation and embracing every aspect of life as a means of your own transformation. In more or less words, I know that I'm n- not getting that completely right. But anyway, so uh, in order to actually be like, this is also a natural progression. So unless you're actually able to see through the illusions of your own mind, um, you know, also see the workings of your own mind, understand how karma works, understand your own death, you cannot be of truly service to others. When you try to jump through one stage or the other, you're working from like a basically delusional ground. You know what I mean? That happens with this channeler, for instance, or trying to be of service to others through the filter of their own delusions, essentially. So they end up creating more suffering. And I mean, as far as the distortions of Buddhism, that got taken, I mean, Buddhism got taken over by the monasteries, it got turned into this religion. So same thing that happened to Christianity. And then what happens is people oversimplify these ideas and they use them for spiritual bypassing, you know, and in order to like, like take the teaching on death, for instance, like, you know, like waking up every morning and realize I might die today. Are many people actually like doing that who take, who take, who take these fake Buddha quotes or whatever, because in order to really realize that, that has to change everything it might make you quit your job it might make you leave your relationship in order to truly experience that and instead people um i feel use like and a lot of these are it's interesting there's like so many fake buddha quotes i read more fake buddha quotes than i read real buddha quotes i'm not even joking on the internet like that's how distorted it's become um, they're basically using these as, as distortions and also they're using it. And this is another thing to escape the world when the aestheticism was literally a stage in Buddha's life. Like he went through that whole aestheticism, starving himself, meditating in graveyards. And then at the later part of his life, it was all about teaching people to meditate. And he literally did that until his death. So they, they take all sorts, they, it's like cherry picking. It's like they take little, all sorts of different choosings, whatever is convenient to themselves and whatever they're going through or whatever 
whatever is helping them bypass an issue of their life. This is how people distort any spiritual teaching in general. And then anytime, like this, like Christian Murdy <laughs> says, anytime you institutionalize truth, it becomes distorted. So there's multiple things that went well, like off with it. And then also we have to understand that like, you know, the spirit, the spirituality of the world collectively is evolving constantly, even though we're going through a very dark period right now. So the truth that needs to basically come down into this earth is going to be an evolution of what these teachings were. And yeah, it's going to include and build upon these teachings, but it's also going to improve upon them. I think that's the main point. So you can't take any of these classic teachings as truth, although they are fundamental, you know, like they are fundamental for understanding the workings of the mind, for understanding how karma works, for understanding how we create unnecessary suffering. Also, another distortion, you know, that people take uh, of Buddha where he taught, they say that all of life is suffering. That is absolutely not true. It's the what the mind creates of the world creates unnecessary suffering. That's mm -hmm. the issue. It's the illusions of the mind that create the suffering. Yeah. And yes, there is fundamental suffering to life as like life, death, this process that we have to go through getting old that's the suffering that he's referring to not the suffering that happens when we create a huge story about a little instance that actually wasn't what truly happened you know when we like if you say something to me and i make this story about what it means that's this illusion illusory suffering that we can actually eliminate once we gain more control of our yeah. mind and like you just mentioned there um Uh, how Buddhism and many other religions have been hijacked in this form of aestheticism of just rejecting the material world, rejecting the body we see it in Christianity, the body's flesh, and just you know, in in India, the distortion of just going to the Himalayas, meditate, and trying to escape Maya and Lila, the the illusion of this yeah. world. When instead, it is about anchoring the divine here. What Shirobindo talked about, the descent of the supermental, the divine, and embody that, and embrace life, and do the work we're here to do. Yeah. as anchors of this divine frequency. And in order yeah. to anchor it, going back to the topic, we need to get into our heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> into like, you know, it's interesting, it's similar in Buddhism, I think, also in Sri Aurobindo's Integral Yoga, the psychic being, the essence, it resides, quote-unquote, right behind the heart. And interestingly, also, the Mahayana, which is we'll go into, I think, in the second half of the podcast and meditation, we did the loving, kind, loving kindness <laughs> meditation yes. that was quite intense for yes. you. Um, but that's all about awakening the heart. So yeah. it's all about, you know, getting through the illusions of your own mind, also facing the fundamental aspects of what human life is. And from that point, we can awaken the heart. And yeah. also what you're talking about, you know, taking the super mental consciousness into all of reality, meaning that your spiritual life doesn't have to look a certain way. I mean, you could literally, I'm, I'm not saying recommending this, but you could literally work in 7-Eleven as a bodhisattva. Like, it doesn't have to look no, any true. way that's, you that's want it to That's very important. Like. It's like that what people mistake, this idea of service to others doesn't mean this huge, glorious thing yeah. you do, like, you know, or, you know, like our work, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I was naturally called to this path of my writings and the work we're doing together now and yeah. you know, personal work. But that was, I never was a career choice or what I had to do was just naturally develop itself. But it, what I do, that's for me personally, that's not what everybody else has to do. Yeah. Right? We all play our role, yeah. our very specific sole purpose. And it has, you know, sometimes we talked, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast before, but sometimes everyday people, 
are even more closer to like their essence yeah. than people who claim to be spiritual because like you mentioned the ego hijacks the yeah. spiritual concept exactly right and the ego feeds off, off and wants to have the experience and wants to mm -hmm. liberate itself and it becomes actually a very selfish process exactly yeah and then that's actually very hard to get back from that's that's I think that's the, the point of it is because they use these spirit once you start using spiritual techniques to deceive yourself even further. That's also reaching into the, you know, this topic of these spiritual gurus who kind of use these powers to seduce people to, it's bit the, their higher levels of spiritual awareness they use to, um, you know, like their sexual pathology, it becomes like a vehicle for their sexual pathologies. So yeah, that's, an, that's a, another topic on its own, but that's true. That's also, you know, like I feel in a sense, people who are quote unquote, like, you know, working in this traditional healing arts, they get this like, almost like un glory of a sense. They're the healers of the world when that's not true. Like there's, I mean, I know people, you know, who work in like hospitals, which is total, you know, like quote unquote matrix program who are doing this work. And it's so hard to, to have this higher level awareness in that system. You know, there's going to be people waking up in like these, uh, in academia, it's going to happen basically everywhere. And it, it we don't know what it's going to look like. And also, yeah, it's we have this picture of like what a healer will look like, especially through this whole like this new thing, the spiritual awakening and social media, like people are taking photos of them meditating and stuff and going on their spiritual journeys or whatever. And we're creating this like image of what it looks like. I'm not saying this is also not part of the journey that we're going through. But I think the main point is it doesn't have to look any way that it that it uh, it doesn't have to have this image that we expect it to look like. And it's also going to we're going to wake up exactly where we are. So if we work in business, if we work in, you know, uh, we work as a lawyer, we work as that's whatever. Exactly. That's that's important. That this waking up process is not like all of a sudden the angels harping or just leaving the world. Yeah. You're exactly where you are, but you're perception deepens, it cleanses. You see it more truly through your essence, your compassion, your heart truly opens. You see actually connect to the essence of a person, yeah. right? Not get sidetracked by the shadow projections. You can actually read people better without filtered of your own projected uh, aspects or shadow aspects and whatnot. And there's a more in completely embodied compassion, empathy, but you know, we're almost near the end of the hour. So I want to talk about, uh, of the first hour, I want to talk about what you just mentioned about healer and healing, what does it truly mean to be a healer, mm -hmm. right? Because I see it in my own work as a body worker or coach, like we are quote-unquote healers. People have called me an amazing healer, blah, blah, and so on and so forth. But I don't personally identify myself as a healer, nor do I claim I don't heal people. Mm -hmm. It's been become very clear, especially when I do body work. I noticed having done body work now for professionally for over 15 years, working on thousands of people, the body, the soma has its own intelligence. Right, and the spirit infuses it, and the life force that is always striving towards health and healing, and it's healing itself. It just needs the right space yeah. to be able to heal. And what I see, when I help people, be it in my coaching services or in hands-on um, body work, quote-unquote healing work, I'm just a facilitator. You know, holding the space through my own talents and energy, and but it's not me doing the healing. It's the client is doing their his or her own healing, but just providing the space, giving the opportunity, and maybe uh, breaking some patterns, doing some you know providing some energetic adjustments. But the body or the client is healing themselves. You are your own healer, and a true healer I feel quote unquote 
recognize it, that they are just a vessel or a channel or just some, uh, just a facilitator, an instrument, mm -hmm. rather than the moment you identify yourself, I'm a healer and I heal, yeah. the ego has you and the occult forces have you. And then, you know, we see what happens. What also you mentioned with, with um, you know, gurus, just because or or spiritual adepts and people who have these spiritual psychic powers doesn't mean that they're highly evolved. <laughs> so it's, uh, you can actually, that's in any esoteric teachings, you read about the warning of not getting tempted by these psychic or spiritual powers that, exactly. that, are, that are actually uh, distractions that and are on the path. Exactly. So and the spiritual experience, like there's this classic, it's like a Zen story, you know, whenever I think Adi Shanti talks about, you know, this guy goes to his teacher and he's like, oh, I had this amazing spiritual experience. He's like, oh, that's great. Keep going. You know, it's like, you just have yeah. to move forward. And that's, that's one thing that I did at the beginning <laughs> as well. Like I was having this amazing spiritual experiences. I was like, wow, like this is so special. Like I'm becoming enlightened or whatever. And now even though, yeah, they're incredible but I know that you just have to keep going. Best example, Sri Aurobindo of Integral Yoga, and, and he describes in the, in the book uh, Sri Aurobindo or the Adventure of Consciousness by Sarbrim, which is also it's kind of it's a great introduction, by the way, to Sri Aurobindo's work and it's infused with his life story. And at some point, Sri Aurobindo, I think 1908, he um, achieved Nirvana and quote unquote enlightenment, and he yeah. was in samadhi state for like months, and it was even hard for him to still do his work. He was still even politically involved, but in his own yoga has achieved nirvana. But he realized within the state as well, this was not the end. Yeah. Right. And then she just like, this is attempt, you know, don't get stuck there. It can be very tempting. This peace and love and bliss, but that nirvana is just an intermediate, intermediate stage. And yeah. he went broke through that to the uh, super mind, the overmind, the super mental consciousness. Yeah. And many people get stuck in this idea that nirvana is just like, oh, I'm you know, in the samadhi state where it's completely formless and peaceful, but you're still like, and there's no individual eye and whatnot. But that is, you know, not the end of it all. Yeah. And then people just get hooked on that experience. And even the mother said, like what I remember Shira Bindu's partners relates to what you said, whatever you had ex amazing experience, Keep going, keep going, keep going. There is no end to it. Right? Yeah. We don't stop. It's this, this kind of evolution keeps going. Yeah, and just another thing to add to that, a quote that I like, I mean, I've used this with you before, that Reggie Ray says is like, when you think that nothing is happening in your spiritual journey, actually a lot is happening. And when you yeah. think that something is happening, it's most likely nothing is happening. And that's that kind of, yeah, relates to that as well. But it also reminds me of, I really want to go deeper that, more called esoteric in the second hour talking about John of God. Remember that healer from yeah. Brazil that yeah. recently got exposed or accused of over 500, having sexually abused over 500 women. And he was a star on Oprah. And he has this huge, apparently like, you know, healing powers, which may be valid, but he even tells himself that he is a conduit, a, an instrument for up to 20 entities working through him. Yeah. That's literally what he said. That's already a red flag in itself. Yeah. Right. And so it, he got hooked on this, you know, it's a good example of what I just mentioned in terms of having possibly really psychic gifts and healing powers, but, you know, at having made a pact with the devil, mm -hmm. you know, at service of these forces that then were feeding through him through the sexual pathologies. Yeah. And lots of the channelers like are actually channeling these dark forces. And I think that, and I just bringing back to the point that you made though, you know, like what is a healer, uh, 
like before any session, I, well, I try to, sometimes I forget, but I, I try and set the intention that I just want to become a channel for God essentially. And I know that word triggers some people, but that's how I refer to like the, you know, the, my pure essence essentially. So whatever the person needs to hear or whatever the person needs from me, I'm just going to be open and receptive to that coming through me. And I think that that's, that's really what a true healer is, is like they're clearing out like all of their conditioning, their traumas, their wounds and the tension in their body so they could become a clear channel. Essentially, it's like we're I think the the, the most wounding part of of life is that, you know, especially for children who are way more connected to their essence, the adults that they experience in the world are not mirroring back that essence. So by becoming a clear channel, you can actually start mirroring back to people their true essence, and that helps them remember who they truly are. Yeah. Let's also address, I think we didn't got, because we kind of sidetracked a bit about what you meant, and a question you asked before, like in terms of wounded healer and the interrelationship between healing your own wounds and then being of service. At one point, do we have to be fully healed before we can help others, right? I mean, the healer needs to be healed as well, yeah. obviously. So there's a fine line sometimes before we actually can, <clears throat> excuse me, fully help others, we have to have gone through our own process yeah. to a certain degree. <clears throat> excuse me. Certain degree of own healing as well, because that's, I remember also Gurdjieff warned about that. And I remember Sri Aurobindo and the mother as well in their own teachings, the trap of wanting to help people, you know, too early on your path. Mm -hmm. right? The ego hijacks this concept of service to others, which I, years ago when I was also, when even activists out externally focus, want to help others and make the world a better place, but it's coming from their own wounded place. Yeah. Right. And that gets an intermixed and actually you can also use unconsciously abuse the concept of service to others as a way to distracting from your own process of what you need to do for yourself, just constantly helping others mm -hmm. as an avoidance to deal with your own stuff. Yeah. So it's very important to, to recognize that. Yeah. And I think it comes as like a natural progression. And as well, I think, you know, if you do work in a place where you're being of service to others, I think an important aspect is to also recognize your own limitations. Mm. I know for myself, like, you know, I first started doing just like tarot and astrology readings for people. And then like deeper stuff came up and I didn't know how to help people at that point, you know, and I didn't even try. I think that's the point is like just to recognize your own limitations being like, sorry, you know, I actually cannot help you. This is who I would maybe recommend based on my own understanding, but to not try and to not, you know, pretend that also, you know, everything and, and, and to come from this place of like being above someone, I think, yeah. you know, and also to recognize like you I think this is a very unconventional approach to therapy, but to also recognize when you get triggered, because even the people that you're working with will also show you your own blind spots as well. Yeah. And to not present yourself as being above them or below them, but be like, okay, we're coming together for a purpose. It can be very healing for both of us, you know, and to not be like, I'm going to just fix everything for you, you know, because it's, um, I think really, you know, the best healers that I've worked with, quote unquote, are basically people who empower you, essentially. Empower you, give the power back to you, right? Exactly. exactly. And also in, in, in help you to find the answers within yourself as well, in a sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah that's, we're, the, that's the end of the first hour. That's it, goodbye. I'm just kidding. No, okay, so... <laughs> 
Uh, I'm just going to mention some of the things that we're going to get into in the second hour of the podcast. And once again, you have to go to the Veil of, uh, Veil of Reality.com membership section, sign up uh, to access this. Um, so the things that we didn't get into is the intention behind your work and why that matters when you're being of service to others. Uh, what is true compassion? Can you teach compassion? the importance of facing your fears and developing fearlessness and the warrior attitude. Uh, what does it mean to truly love yourself? Uh, I'm going to talk about these knots they talk about in Vajrayana Buddhism that are around our heart. Basically, we have two channels running through the body that create these knots um, and on our sacral, our heart. Um, and it's about undoing these hearts in order to allow that energy to flow freely. Uh, your experience with the quote-unquote loving-kindness meditation, which was quite a tantric approach to loving-kindness. This was not what you would expect. Yes. Um, is there such a thing as being too sensitive, like some kind of um, conversation about the whole emp identification with empath culture we have going on, um, the new age deception of what this heart opening will look like? Uh, we're going to go even more detail about these healers who take advantage of people and their own desperation and the pathological gurus who are calling themselves healers who do more harm than good and John of God. And there's a bunch of others yeah, all tying it into, you know, obviously these occult topic of forces and what we mentioned earlier with, um, trauma-based matrix programming yeah yeah and and also if you are a member of the forum uh sorry the community there's a forum there that's very active so a essential part of healing is really your sangha your community it's completely essential you cannot do this alone so the community there is beautiful it's really flourishing and it's become a safe container away from facebook which is completely infected with ai and people telling you what you should and shouldn't think that it's not actually a safe place to share experiences so that's become yeah. a great place yeah. and then also uh each month we're doing a monthly in the middle of the month we're doing a monthly live zoom call for members as well so if you want to kind of connect deeper this is an opportunity for you to do so And yeah, and once again, we also, on the forum, we have a, a discussion uh, post for you to talk about any insights that came up regarding this topic, so. Exactly. All right. See you guys in the second hour. Bye.